You are now listening to a Fit Plus Love production. Fascia is your primary organ system because it's most prolific and it's designed to unify all your bodily systems in order to synthesize physical functions into achieving energetic balance, which is homeostasis. So you have to have balanced fascia so your nerves are sitting rightly. And when you're fascially breathing, it connects the main 12 Chinese meridians. Now these 12 Chinese meridians, they intersect with axial tonal lines. Well, axial tonal lines is the energy grid that we are under. Right? We know the earth has a force field around it. We know a force field around it. So these 12 meridians connect to these 12 axiotonal lines through way of fascia, and it furthers the communication into the brain and throughout the nervous system. So when you're breathing, you're connecting all the systems in your body to work synergistically. That was Brian Mirabella. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today on the podcast, I sync up with Brian Mirabella. Brian Mirabella is the founder of Quantum Fitness and a human performance specialist with over three decades of industry experience, helping others improve their health and well-being through breathwork, nutrition, and progressive loaded movement. He is a lifelong athlete, and as a collegiate wrestler and professional powerlifter, he has faced multiple soft tissue injuries, as well as two herniated discs and a torn bicep tendon. Having overcome these damages, it's given him the experience and deep inner knowledge of the proper healing process and the inner standing of the microcirculatory system that greatly enhances our ability to recover faster. He is a master instructor for Oxygen Advantage. He is also certified in restorative breathing, the breathing class level one, and WEC method. Brian is hosting a workshop here in New York City on April 21st. If you are interested, head over to his website, quantumfitnessorg.com to learn more. For 18 years, Brian led the youth wrestling program at the New York Athletic Club and has previously spent several years as a wrestling and strength coach for both Hunter College and New York University. He continues to develop strategies that work for a broad range of clients, ages ranging 14 to 85, including everyday lifestylers, an age group triathlete and cyclist to NFL players, Olympic wrestlers, high profile founders and celebs to help them improve their well-being and movement performance. His mission is to make available the tools for healthy living, longevity and self-empowerment for all. Before we dive into our conversation, shout out to our sponsors Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. It transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed nutrition recommendations 
you need to optimize your health. Get 20% off today at insidetracker.com slash Marnie on the move. Now on to my conversation with Brian Mirabella. Brian, thank you so much for being on the Marnie on the move podcast today. I'm so excited to share all that you do with my listeners. This is awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Tell me a little bit about quantum fitness and what you do. Yeah. Well, I named the business quantum fitness six years ago. I used to have a business called physical preparation. So, well, now I've been a personal trainer for 34 years. So I've learned a lot in 34 years and I try to reinvent myself every time something comes up where I feel like it's time for me to shift, you know, and a lot of times you have to leave ideas behind because you learn something new. And that's happened to me quite often in the personal training business. Whereas I used to be, well, I'm 53. Oh, in 1969, my mom did all the wrong things. She started smoking when she was 12. She gave birth at 25 and she smoked all through pregnancy, but so did a lot of people back yeah, then. Nobody knew. Yeah. Right? So for me, I was sort of born with a predisposition to be not oxygenated. But I don't, I didn't know this until I look back now when I say, right. well, I was never getting enough oxygen as a child, not as a baby and not as a child. And then I had to breathe in waste. I had to breathe in a lot of toxicity for 18 years, not only through the womb, but all 18 years in a one bedroom apartment in the Bronx in New York City. And it created a lot of dysfunction in my body because I was always sick. Mm -hmm. I look back on my chart. I remember I was 16 years old and she was still taking me to the pediatrician. And Dr. Schiffer said, Gail, he's 16. He shouldn't be coming to a pediatrician anymore. And, the, and she's like, but we love you. You know how it is, right? You're yes. like, well, we yeah. love you. You've taken care of my child. But I had, I had counted how many times I had been to the doctor and it was 116 visits I was 16. Yeah. I'd been there 116 times. Yeah. I remember thinking, why was I at the doctor so often? And it's because I was predisposed not to be breathing correctly. But you could never look back then and say right. that, but realize it had to do with my breathing. When did you start working on your breath work and breathing and figuring that all out and turning it into something that you did for yourself? Yeah. Uh, that started about six years ago. Okay. Breath was brought to my attention by Wim Hof. Okay. The ice. Man. Yep. I know. And I saw his breathing technique and I became superhuman. I was out in the cold weather. And six years ago, this January was our coldest winter ever. Whereas this winter is our warmest winter ever in the history of New yeah. York. Yeah. When I started, it was our coldest. And the average temperature in January was 20 degrees that year. And there was one day where it was seven degrees with a windshield of minus 17. And my son and I were taking ice baths, but we were hyperventilating, jumping mm -hmm. in the ice bath to, to, to expose ourselves to that sympathetic stress, but basically numbing our nervous system with the hyperventilation. Because hyperventilation tells oxygen not to be released. It only funnels oxygen to the heart and to the brain and not to the extremities. So when you hyperventilate, you create a hypertension 
nervous system sympathetic response. Okay. Already sympathetically driven. And then when you go into the water or you go outside into the cold, that sympathetic stress doesn't affect you. But it doesn't mean that hyperventilating was good for you. Right. It's not. Not even ask. Yeah. a little bit. Not even a little bit. It's only necessary if Wim Hof proved when he went to the hospital that they injected him with E. coli bacteria and then he hyperventilated to create a lot of alkalinity in his blood so those bacteria couldn't thrive in a high alkaline environment. But after that, the body has to come back down to baseline because neutrality is where the body works best. And that's a blood pH of 7.365 to slightly alkaline 7.4. There's a sweet spot. So Wim isn't teaching people how to breathe correctly. He's teaching people how to breathe to withstand a sympathetic response. Right. But that has nothing to do with breathing mechanics. It has nothing to do with longevity. Thank God for him because he brought so much attention to the world. But now we need to be saying to ourselves, I, somebody's showing me a breathing technique. Is it good for my system? And that's what I teach. I assess people's breathing mechanics. Mm-hmm. And I devise restorative breath training exercises. So I don't do breath work. I'm a restorative breathing coach who looks at your mechanics and says, well, this could be improved. This could be improved. How do we devise a strategy that number one, gets rid of all your irregular breathing mechanics. So you build the foundation of, of solid breathing mechanics. And then you try to improve on those foundational mechanics. Whereas when you do breath work, like breathing, you're not doing anything with your mechanics. You're only doing a technique that might not be good for you. This, what you're doing is not breath work, but it's breathing day to day and through sports and all of those things. What I practice is based off a physiological law of cellular respiration. I'm going to say that again. It's a law. And it was originated in 1904 by Niels Bohr's father, Christian Bohr. He was 85 years old. And when he was 85 years old, he was doing experiments with carbon dioxide and oxygen. And he saw that inside your blood, you have a red blood cell. Red blood cells carry oxygen. Right. So let's pretend now I'm a little oxygen molecule and I'm in the red blood cell. Well, that oxygen molecule can't be unbound. It needs a carrier. And inside the red blood cell, there's a protein called hemoglobin. And hemoglobin is has a heavy iron atom. This is why iron is so important for humans. It's sticky. And oxygen is attracted to the stickiness mm-hmm. of this iron atom. It's attracted to the stickiness yes. of the heavy iron atom. And then once the oxygen is stuck bound to hemoglobin, now the red blood cell can go through the circulation mm-hmm. to deliver oxygen. But how does the oxygen get unbound from hemoglobin? That's the magic. And this is what people don't know in the world, especially in the, in the West. In order to get hemoglobin and oxygen to do what they call disassociate, 
So the physiological law, and everybody can Google this, yeah. is called oxygen hemoglobin disassociation curve, also known as the Bohr law. This is chemistry 101. It can't be disproven. I can talk to the top doctor in the world and they would say, you're right. Yeah. In order to get hemoglobin to disassociate, I need carbon dioxide. So people go, wait a minute, carbon dioxide is a waste gas. And, and I'm like, no, it's not, not even at all. Carbon dioxide is produced by every single tissue in your body. It's a product of aerobic respiration. When I breathe, I don't breathe all the way in and all the way out every breath. I breathe in normally. Always a little bit of air left in my body when I breathe out. Well, that's carbon dioxide. And that carbon dioxide is looking for red blood cells to go into to signal hemoglobin to release oxygen, and that's why you're alive, because of carbon dioxide, not necessarily because of oxygen. The primary stimulus to breathe is to exhale the excess metabolism, but you still have CO2 in your body. So breathing is so much more than inhaling and exhaling. So slow conscious breathing increases cell-to-cell -cell communication which is your internal consciousness messaging system for your central nervous system. And it's in order to show us where inside our body do we need to consciously participate to emotionally heal and become spiritually whole. And it happens at the blood gas level based on this physiological law. So I teach people to improve their threshold to CO2 Okay. which gets sufficient oxygen to their brain. And then when their higher brain wakes up, everything starts to change in their life. I work with clinically depressed people, people with addiction. As you noted, I train Olympic athletes and I train the best linebacker in the NFL. And I train a, women with three and four children. I train children. Yeah. Because the mechanism of how a human should breathe is the same for every human. So if we can first get rid of the irregular mechanics that are showing up, right. why are these mechanics showing up? Trauma. Okay. When we were children, we experienced trauma. And it could have been sitting in kindergarten because sitting is not normal. The, our ancestors never sat like this. They would lean up against a tree. They were never sitting in a chair, yeah. right? As soon as you sit a child in a chair, they're not going to sit straight. And now immediately their breathing apparatus is, is perturbed. Yeah. And any kind of shaming from a child, another child, a teacher, whatever. And now the kid is going to start to brace itself. It's going to start to guard itself. It's going to suck in because it thinks it needs to be skinny. And then all of those bracing, shaming, guarding lead to dysfunctional breathing mechanics that is programmed into your central nervous system and stays with you your whole life until somebody teaches you how to breathe properly. But you can, and you can train yourself and you can change it. Absolutely. All right. Just dropping in here to give a shout out to our partners, Athletic Greens and AG1. AG1 is an all-in-one nutritional supplement. It has 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. And it's super easy to use. Just add one scoop to a cup of water daily. 
AG1 is my go-to for getting in the essential daily supplements that I need. I take the travel packs with me wherever I go. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every day to take great care of yourself. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, and it tastes great. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Marnie on the Move. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash Marnie on the Move to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now, back to my conversation. So I wonder like, okay, so we've got, you know, everyday people that really need to realign themselves with their breathing and pay attention, bring awareness. And most of the world probably doesn't have these skills, right? I mean, this is something that people I feel like in the last few years have has come onto our radar just focusing on your breathing knowing how to breathe correctly and I think it's more something that is more prevalent in the athlete community because athletes are always working on their bodies and trying to improve performance so talk to me about maybe both of these categories right like if you know how it works for athletes first, how you work well, with believe people it or not, the athlete population is the most difficult to work with because they think they don't need to learn how to breathe because yeah. they're already great athletes. It works right. better <laughs> for people who actually are feeling the nest, the need. They know something wrong. They right. know that because I, when I do my assessments with people, I talk to them and they tell me things. And they're coming to me because they're like, you know, I, I have brain fog all the time or I'm gasping for air. Whereas the athlete thinks, well, I don't need to breathe because I'm a great athlete. So it's much better with them than it is right. for the normal population. So, I mean, I love working with athletes, but I love working with everybody. I just want to work with people who want to change. And again, we breathe with every cell in our body. We don't breathe just through the nose right. into the lungs by way of our diaphragm, we breathe with every cell in our body. Our whole body breathes, not just our nose, our lungs, and our diaphragm, but every cell. And when carbon dioxide, which is endogenously produced by metabolism, when it presents itself to hemoglobin, it releases oxygen. And oxygen then looks for cells that are deficient in oxygen, and it rescues. It carries right. a positive electron. So you're alive because you breathe oxygen <laughs> and oxygen carries an electron and that electron gets into the mitochondria and it produces heat. And that heat, that energy is what the body is actually living off of with anybody. They start to have their breathing assessed and they make changes within two to four weeks, they make changes. And then you breathe for the rest of their life and they never go back. On my website, quantumfitness.org, I have under services, there's two ways to work with me. There's a inner breathing program. Mm -hmm. And when you click on that, there's a, there's a video. It's a 10 minute webinar of me talking about how I experienced breath and how the world has a breathing disorder. And the, the webinar is actually really, really good. <laughs> I, I 
I made it two years ago and okay. I just rewatched it to make sure because I'm going to relaunch this. And it's actually so spot yeah. on because I realized that I was just sharing my life and I was sharing dysfunction in my life. And now I'm five years into this and I don't have really any dysfunction left anymore. And I feel great every day. And all these students I work with feel great. And I'm like, wow, that I only could have gotten to this point by knowing how bad of a breather I was. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'm in the bad breathing category. And I feel like it's like one of those. Most people are. I mean, and and I am an athlete. So have found myself, you know, I've. I, I have the skills to observe. However, do I correct is the question. Like I've been doing a lot of running lately and I noticed I was breathing out of my mouth. And then, then I also practice yoga and I only breathe out of my nose. So I find myself sometimes confused about how I should be breathing when doing yeah. different sports. So is there, is that, is that like a real thing? Do other people feel that way? Or am I just like messing up my breathing because I have two different schools of thought around breathing? Yeah, well, what what's happening is that when you exercise you're you haven't perfected nose breathing so when you start running the nose breathing doesn't feel good to you so you open your mouth right however the mouth has zero functions when it comes to breathing i mean zero so there's should... nothing good about breathing mouth ever so always we should be breathing inhaling and exhaling from our nose yes now if you're an exerciser you're not going to be able to do that because if you've been mouth breathing, when you go to breathe through your nose, these holes are smaller. So you're going to feel like you're starving for air. Okay. So in the first four months, it takes about four months to retrain the respiratory center to learn to breathe through the nose during exercise. So what do we do when we're exercising? Mm-hmm. We're breathing through the nose. And as soon as we feel like we cannot breathe through the nose, we either slow down or we stop and we recover our breathing back into the nose and we do not breathe through the mouth. And then we can start running again, but if the mouth has to open, then you stop. And you have to keep doing that until you perfect nose breathing because breathing through your mouth is actually creating an aging effect happening in your body. And what about when you're swimming? How do you breathe through your nose? Is that different or is there a technique? It is different in swimming. Swimming swimming requires a lot of breath holding, actually, because when you breathe in and then when you're doing slow and controlled breathing on the way out, as you breathe out, as you swim, you're breathing out through the water. That's controlled breathing. And controlled breathing is better than what people are breathing normally. Okay. They're not breathing. They're not controlling their breathing. They're just huffing and puffing. But in the water, you kind of have to control your breath. Okay. You have to breathe out for a certain amount of strokes before you breathe in. It's right. time for rhythm. And that rhythm is good for breathing. Yeah. Whereas if I'm running, I don't think about rhythm. I just breathe right. and I could be breathing too much. But in the water also, you're horizontal and you're buoyant. So your diaphragm also doesn't have a lot of stress on it. Whereas if I'm running and I'm upper chest breathing because I'm breathing through the mouth, my diaphragm's got so much tension on it because I'm not breathing down into my body. I'm breathing through my mouth and my upper chest. But when I'm in the water, right. the water is buoyant on me. It gives me lift and it allows my diaphragm to relax. So it's easier to breathe in the water. And then when you're in the water, a lot of people will go under the water. And when you go under the water, you have to hold your breath. 
Right. So you are practicing breath holding when you're in the water as opposed to when you're on the ground. So the only sport where you could breathe through your mouth would be swimming. Okay. And it, it's more about, it's not so much about the mouth or the nose. It's more about the inhale retention and exhale retention and the rhythm of which you are breathing when I do an open water swim. And I know a lot of my listeners are triathletes, so I'm just going to ask this before I get back into like the bigger picture of like other listeners. But And this is also personal. So when I get into the water, I have heard from coaches and other people that there's a breathing technique that you could do when you get into the water, if you're nervous, if it's cold, because a lot of the time the fear, if you can work on your breath, you can sort of fix the mental fear or get more comfortable. So what is that technique? I don't really know what it's called. I know there is something out there. I think they generally do box breathing. Okay. Box breathing is really good at balancing your sympathetic nervous system and your parasympathetic nervous system. So when you're balanced, you're more resilient to stress. Okay. So your sympathetic nervous system is a little bit aroused, but your parasympathetic nervous system is keeping the sympathetic nervous system in check. So that's breathe in for four, hold for four, out for four, hold for four. However, we don't need to do that. All we need to do is very specific breathing, breath holding exercises. So I could hold my breath. Then I can let go of my breath, recover my breath as fast as I can, mm -hmm. breathe normally for a minute and do that three to five times which shouldn't take more than 10 to 12 minutes. Okay. So before I got in the water, I would do a 10 to 12 minute exercise, but not breathing box breath, breathing a little bit differently. So I do some breath holding and then I breathe in for four and out for six. And I would practice slow breathing. So I retain carbon dioxide from the breath holds. Okay. So in the water, it's easier to hold my breath. I don't gasp for air. And then after the breath holds, I perfect my slow breathing so I can breathe controlled in the water. Got so it. it's just a little differently. Everything comes back down to breathing, right? Everything comes back to that no matter what, like whether it's anxiety, whether it's fear, whether it's being faster performance, like optimizing your overall health, like during the pandemic, a lot of people that had COVID were, you know, having problems with oxygen to their blood cells. And I think, you know, if we all had this tool, it, we could have been a lot better. And I think if we have this tool, which we do, everything can be optimized. Well, here's, here's a crazy thing. Like, you know, in America, we don't teach anything preventative, like yeah, no. nothing, <laughs> nothing, no. But in Russia, which the breathing that I teach got its its roots is from Russia, okay. from a Russian scientist named uh, Konstantin Buteko, who started this in the late 50s. And then he was thought of as a god in Russia because he was the most prolific scientist. So they gave him a car, driver, mansion, anything he wanted because they throw money at the brilliant minds. Mm -hmm. He had years to perfect all of the science based off this breathing. So he took the physiological law he determined that there were 200 diseases named mm -hmm. that were related to poor breathing mechanics. And then he did all the science and he published all the research. So when COVID happened, Russia was one of the last countries to get it. And then Russia, the population of 
of Russians, only 1% of the population got it and almost no one died because in elementary school, they're taught how to breathe. Yeah. Now, they not grow up their whole lives and practice it, but they're aware of it and they know what to do if something goes awry in their body. They have strategies. So the, the government there teaches their citizens how to self-care, how to protect themselves through breathing. Right. And that's what I'm trying to bring back to the world is to teach them that you innately hold all of these capabilities. Right. I'm just instructing you on how to bring it out, but you have all the power. It comes from you. You right. were born breathing perfectly. We just, you know, Move are mechanical. away from it as we get older. Yeah. yeah. Revisit that. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, it was only maybe a decade ago that kids started doing yoga in schools, or maybe it was a little further back, but you know, growing up, you have gym and physical education and you do all kinds of sports, but there was never yoga, which I think has been game changing for kids to be able to, and maybe it was the last two decades because I have like no concept of time anymore, but I feel like that was really a great addition. It would be nice to see, you know, more of the breathing techniques, you know, taught to kids at a young age because as we are in our 50s and now need to relearn them, I think it's a little bit more challenging, but everything is possible. And you got your start as a wrestler. So talk to me a little bit about that. And are you still wrestling? Well, I started at 14. I'm 53. So I've been wrestling for almost 40 years. Um, I was the head wrestling coach for the children's Saturday morning program at the New York Athletic Club for 18 straight years. But when COVID happened and they forced me to vaccinate, I resigned my membership. Okay. And they gave me two years. So I have till September 16th of this year to see if I want to reinstate my membership. So I figured I would let one more winter go by <laughs> to see that no other craziness happened before I reinstated my membership. But I was not going to compromise my health. Right. For a coveted membership. In fact, I thought it was disgusting of them as a company to do that. But as a wrestler, we're in the worst position possible because we're bent over. That's never going to be conducive to taking a good deep breath. So I actually work with the number one American wrestler in the world. His name is Jordan Burroughs, and he's one of my students, and I'm getting him ready for the next world team trials and the Olympics. So I have a wrestler and um, our good friend. I also work with his son yes, and his Tyler. Yes. having an incredible year. And when I first started working with him, he didn't he was like, ah, breathing, breathing, breathing. And then the other day I called him to congratulate him. And he said to me, this made me feel so happy for him, not for me. I said, congratulations, Tyler. And he said, it's because of you, Brian. And I went, what do you mean? He goes, the breathing. He's like, I can breathe now on the mat. And I feel like I'm unstoppable. And I said, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Because so like Tyler is a kid in high school who's a New Yorker and very competitive and, and obviously, you know, top of his class. And then you are working with Olympic athletes. So I think the Olympic athletes, like you expect that, but the kids or the college students, high school students, like it's amazing, right? When they can do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's backwards. It's easier for the kids to adapt because right. the they're, you know, they might not have the focus, but it's easier for them to change because they have less dysfunctional breathing happening already. Right. So their nervous system is going to adapt much faster. And so you were also a professional power lifter and a strength coach. 
So how do you employ or apply your breathing to training in the gym and strength? Yeah, well, I've given up my old ways of strength training and I don't do anything linear. Uh, Everything I do is movement and rotationally based strength training. So no more lifting? No, that means there'll be weights involved, but it'll be through space. You'll be moving with weights because nobody needs to be strong sitting under a bar. This doesn't do anything except compress your spine. And I did that for years. I used to squat 622 pounds and I destroyed my body. And that was part of what happened is I distorted my ability to breathe because I was always going, (gasps) right? And that hypertension of holding my breath on the inhale and squeezing my body, squeezing all my muscles is forcing blood through the system, which constricts blood vessels. And when you're young, you don't feel it. And as you get older, people start to say to me, I'm getting old. I can't work out like I used to. I said, that's not it. You can't breathe. And because you can't breathe, you can't push like you used to because you don't have enough carbon dioxide in your body, which means you're lacking oxygen. So I've taken help people. I have a 55-year-old cyclist who's been breathing with me for three years. He lives in Seattle. There's a lot of mountains. And at 55, he's breaking records that he hasn't broken in 15 years on the bike. Wow. He had to breathe. And he used to have numbness in his toes and his calves. And that was because the same exact action of biking mm-hmm. was deoxidizing those muscles. Because every time you contract the muscle, the muscle is going to use oxygen in the direction of the force. And this is fascia. So you asked me about a fascial fitness expert. So I don't train muscle because it doesn't exist. I train fascial lines. Okay. (laughs) Lines of stress. So my body needs to be stressed in variations, not in linear motions. Okay. One of the worst things you can do for your chest and shoulders because there's no rotation happening. This is real movement. This is athletic movement. This is nothing. There's so much science behind why it's important for people to lift. No, I'm not talking about power lifters. I'm talking about like just regular people, athletes to do heavy lifting, especially women for their bones, for their, for their body, just, you know, as we get older. So that same science is just, just instead of standing here and doing this, I could be taking a medicine ball and just moving. To be yeah. doing, it's it's equally, it's the same kind of concept with the weights and the body. It's just a different movement. Yeah. The brain only learns through movement. Yeah. It only builds neurons through movement. So if I'm doing this, I'm never learning anything new. Right. I'm just sticking myself into this pattern and then nothing else happens. Right. Cause that's not an actual movement that you do in real life. Exactly. If I were going to do a bench press, I lie on a BOSU, the new BOSU, the hard one, and I lie over it and I make sure that my pelvis is in a certain position. And if I'm going to do dumbbells, then I, I rotate the dumbbells and I rotate my chest. So I'm not here. 
I do a rotational movement okay. with a soft I'm always progressively moving as, uh, well, I don't want to say an athlete, but as somebody who needs to forage around the earth. Got it. So I'm still getting the same forces that are building my bone, my bone marrow that are building my fascial tissue, right? It's just, we have this progressive mindset that we need to push, we need to max, and we don't need to do any of that. So like, how did you get into sports? How has it evolved over the years? And how ha does it help you as somebody who's an entrepreneur running a business and coaching? When I was five years old, I was standing on the corner of my house. And one of my friends said there was this big kid, Frankie, and he used to bully me all the time and all the other kids. He was like eight. <laughs> <laughs> and he used to bully the five-year-olds. And my one friend, Tommy, said to Frankie, he goes, I bet you Brian can beat you in a race. So we were going to run up the hill to the doorstep and I toasted him and he was four years older than me. And from that moment on, he protected me because <laughs> I beat him in the race. <laughs> That's so funny. And, then, and then everybody wanted to see how fast I was. I was the fastest kid in the neighborhood. So then the fathers were asking me to play football, baseball. My mom had hesitated and then she finally let me go do all these sports so I started playing sports at a very young age, and that's where I really shined because I was always little. I'm only five foot six, 140 pounds, where I used to be 170 jacked. <laughs> so I had 30 more pounds of muscle on me, but all of that muscle was weighing me down. It's not good to have all that muscle. You should only be what homeostasis is. Perfected my body to be really, really strong. And then at 39, I got really, really hurt. I herniated two discs in my back. I had a 90% torn biceps tendon. And through nothing but chiropractic work, acupuncture and body work and breathing, I've healed all of my soft tissue injuries. So wow. my spine has literally grown back. I had MRIs where my bones were touching. And now my, my discs are fully engaged again. Totally That's fine. Amazing. I mean, the fascia is amazing. And if you have the ability to work and understand how to heal that way. That's, I mean, it's a lot, it takes a long time. Well, through, through Fascia's fiber optic network, cause it's a fiber optic network. It carries yes. signals, yes. right? It's the signals. If this is my vein, a vein yeah. always, always travels with a nerve and they always travel with a lymph and then they're bound by fascia. They're bundled together. And if the fascia is tight, it's going to squeeze on all of these vessels. And now the signals aren't going to work very well. So through fascia's fiber optic network, it carries voltage and oscillating frequency throughout the bioneurological system via its semiconductive properties, which facilitate digestion, respiration, excretion of metabolic waste. And when you're cellularly fascially breathing, which means every cell in your body breathes, it should be thought of as a holistic living matrix because right. inside your body, you don't have a muscle. You don't have bone. It's all made up of fascia, but the fascia changes to bone. It changes into tendon. It fascially becomes a ligament, but it's all fascially ligamentous, fascially tendinous, fascially bone. <laughs> it's all fascia. I mean, I know a lot about the fascia and I do myofascial massage therapy and I have somebody that I work with in the city. It's very, it can be very painful. I yes. call him the fixer because literally every time I go, 
I feel like my body is like realigned and everything is back, you know, and then I go mess it up again. Well, yeah. that's what shouldn't be happening. Yeah. Well, I, it's my fault. <laughs> we should yeah. be able to hold on to the adaptations that we're making. So we're doing something in our training or our breathing or our stress levels that's creating the dysfunction to come back. And, you know, fascia is your primary organ system because it's both prolific and it's designed to unify all your bodily systems in order to synthesize physical functions into achieving energetic balance, which is homeostasis. So you have to have balanced fascia so your nerves are sitting rightly. And you're, you're, when you're fascially breathing, it connects the main 12 Chinese meridians now, these 12 Chinese meridians, they intersect with axial tonal lines. Well, axial tonal lines is the energy grid that we are under, right? We know the earth has a force field around it. We know force field around it. So these 12 meridians connect to these 12 axial tonal lines through way of fascia, and it furthers the communication into the brain and throughout the nervous system. So when you're breathing, you're connecting all the systems in your body to work synergistically. Do you work with people only in person or do you do it also virtually? I work with people in person. Sure. In person, but also do you work virtually? I do. I have to, everything is uh, under my services and book a session. Yeah. Everything book a session, like the different, if I go to somebody, if I work with them online. What is the spectrum of athletes that you work with? Because I know you work with a lot of different kinds of athletes. Well, yeah, right now I have an NFL player. I have a six-time world champion wrestler. I have a professional. I just got off the phone with somebody in Lithuania. So I have a professional soccer player in the master, in the Champions League. Um, I have a professional tennis player, tennis mm -hmm. sangre. I train a world champion archer, Patrick Houston from the UK. I don't have any golfers yet. I'm st I just started with a former NHL player on okay. the New Jersey. New Jersey Devils. Okay. I trained 15 year old son. So yeah. it doesn't matter what kind of athlete because the breathing can help everybody. Yeah. No, I was just thinking about like triathletes and runners and, and you oh. have a cyclist. Yeah. I have, I have a triathlon guy. He did 10 triathlons. He, I work with him, but I've, got, I've gotten him to change everything. I mean, it sounds really awesome. And then like for you, what are you doing these days to stay fit? Are you still? So I work out pretty much every day, but I don't have more than like 40 minutes. So I do my breathing first because I want to set my nervous system into the right position. So I self-regulate before I go and do a sympathetic stressor. Right. Like sort of what you told me about before swimming, you do some breathing before you're out the door. So I self-regulate my nervous system to be adaptable to the stress I'm about to put it under. When I work out because I'm not a competitive athlete. I allow my breathing to dictate how hard I train. So I won't allow myself to gasp or overbreathe. If I do, I stop the training. I, I don't believe that you have to push yourself to be a better athlete anymore. But I've only developed this over the last three years even. Now I realize that we are always pushing too hard. So now I have athletes, like I have a TIE fighter in Ontario, Canada. I forgot about him. He's lost 40 pounds in the last five months doing the diet that I taught him. And he's getting back in the ring, but he's only been training to the point, not of exhaustion, 
but let's say we have a red line. You're a Lamborghini. And every dial of RPMs, you see the red line. Even on a Lamborghini, if you're above the red line, that means that the car is not going to function as good as it can because you're past where it's supposed to be. Humans don't do that. We don't think about that. We always go past the point because it's almost like wearing your heavy breathing in a workout. You're like, <sighs> and you feel like, yeah, I'm working hard. I'm breathing heavy. Right. But sign that you've gone past the point of recovery. Right. We never taught you that. So it's built into you to think, well, heavy breathing is like a patch. It's a rite of passage. I'm supposed to be breathing like that, but you're not. <laughs> no. And so do you look at heart rate or blood like lactose or VO2 max when you work with your clients? Well, we we don't test V I, I can test VO2 max, but I do it in the form of a seated max breath hold. Okay. Form of a seated max walking breath hold. And based off the physiological law, there's a very specific test. It's called your bolt score stands for body oxygen level test and it's your threshold to co2 so as your threshold to co2 goes up then your max vo2 goes up with it so we're anaerobically to increase our aerobic capacity we focus on all of those and i do an assessment i have 10 assessments that i sit down with people and i watch them breathe and over these assessments and then i also have a six-month program so I work with people over a six-month period. And over those six-month period, I meet with them once a month. I watch them breathe. I go over all the assessments. I devise a breathing routine based off of how they're currently breathing. I give them a workout to do for the month. But then they have live weekly calls and there's live weekly breathing sessions. So even though they only get one hour a month with me, they do get taught by me during the group calls. So there's group calls all week long for the six months. And then you don't just become a better breather. You're actually going to be at the end of six months, you could teach breathing. And I certify people. I'm having my first certification course here in New York City, April 21st, 22nd and 23rd, which happens to be Earth Day weekend. So we're doing breathing and Earth Day weekend as a as a, a marriage. Right. So you talk about overtraining and recovering. So Maybe talk to me a little bit about that and having a better recovery versus, you know, there's no overtraining. So I want the athlete or anybody to work out as hard as you want to work out. Mm -hmm. But with the idea of being in control of your breath. So that's the that's the the new paradigm that has to take root in the person's conscious brain is that I'm going to push myself, but only to the point that I can control my breathing. And then every workout, I should be able to go a little bit more. Right. I'm trying to make 1% adaptations. I'm not trying to push myself as hard as I can during a workout because that's creating a depression on my nervous system. And then what happens is people work out the next day anyway. Right. Or go home and they drink. They don't get a good night's sleep and they work out anyway. Yeah. They're just burning the candle at both ends. And what we're trying to do is gain 1% every single day so we can train every single day and not have that come back to haunt us. Yeah, that's awesome. Brian, this has been so great. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning into Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. 
follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of, If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. 